0: Precious Father in heaven, we love you so much. We're here to hear from you, God. We want to hear your voice speaking to us this morning. Lord, open our ears. Give us sensitive hearts to your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that we wouldn't walk out of here the same people that walked in. We ask that by the grace and love of Jesus that we would walk out filled with your Spirit, and filled with a desire to accomplish your will on this earth. Lord, we just want to pray the prayer that you prayed. May your kingdom come, may your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. amen. The two walked down the street, and it seemed like an ordinary day. In fact, as they neared their destination, they walked close to a man who You've probably seen fairly frequently, these days it tends to be more, we'll be driving along and you get to the stoplight and there he is. You've seen him before, right? He's there holding the sign, and has a cup maybe or something to, to collect some change from you. And, and as they walked up to the place to worship, they saw him sitting there begging for money. I don't know about you, what thoughts go through your mind when you see somebody like that. If it's a a day where you're feeling especially loving and generous, you'll reach in your pocket and you'll pull out some money to give to him. Or maybe you'll offer to take him to the local uh, grocery store and get some food for the day. I don't know how you interact with these type of people, but usually we try to deal with them as quickly as possible, pass them by. Obviously, they're often there because of things, choices that they made in their life anyway, right? Well, this day was a little different because as Peter and John walked up to the temple, it says that it was the hour of prayer in Acts chapter 3. And as they walked up to the temple, here was a man who had been born lame from birth, not able to walk. I take it for granted, this thing that we do called walking where we walk around, but it's a pretty amazing thing. And to not be able to do that from the day you were born, to never have experienced walking, I can't imagine what that would have been like. But here was this man, and he's there. And as he looks up and he sees two more potential donors coming to him, he's not thinking the things that are about to take place. He's looking at them as just another opportunity to receive a little bit more change to help his family out because he's not able to work like a man would need to be able to work. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Peter does something. Amazing. But really, later on he tells us that it's not so amazing. It's something that should only be expected from a disciple of Jesus. From somebody who follows Jesus. From somebody who believes that Jesus came down from heaven. That He walked on this planet and that He is now ascended to the very right hand of the throne of God. In Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour... This shows how much they valued united prayer. Don't miss opportunities to pray together. Find as many opportunities to pray with your family, to pray with your church family, to pray with anybody possible because those are special times. And the disciples knew this because they'd walked in the footsteps of Jesus and they knew that this was where they could most experience Jesus' presence through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John are headed up to the temple together at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. So men would bring him here so that he could beg, so that he could ask for alms. Apparently there were people involved in this situation who were probably benefiting from this, or at least they were helping him out to go there who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. I don't know about you, but sometimes my prayers, I ask from God things that I don't really know what I'm asking for. I don't really ask for the things that I desperately need, that I most need. I sometimes limit God and what He's capable of doing in my life. And this man, as he looks at Peter and John, he says, Would you give me some change? Could you spare some change? Verse 4, though, says in fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. I don't know what he thought at this point. Like, what are these guys going to do? Are they, are they going to be like the other people who tell me to stop begging, who tell me that I'm a sinner, that I am, was born lame because of my own sins, because of the sins of my parents, that, that I deserve to be in this situation? Who knows what thoughts were going through his mind at that point? So he gave them his attention, verse 5. Expecting to receive something from them, he begins to expect these are good people. They're going to give me something. They're going to help me out. Then Peter said this, Silver and gold I do not have. The disciples weren't wealthy men. Following Jesus didn't leave them with a lot of extra change in their pockets. Silver and gold Peter did not have, he said. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaped up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What an amazing story. What an incredible thing that Peter could have that kind of faith. Isn't it amazing? More amazing than that even is the door that this opens up. As Peter heals this man by God's power, he goes around leaping and praising God, and pretty soon the crowds come and they say, They're beginning to look at Peter and John and saying, wow, how did you do this? And Peter then launches into his second sermon in the book of Acts. He says, why are you looking at me like it was by my power that I did this? For it was in the name of Jesus, the one that you crucified. And he's able to share about Jesus because of this act of healing, because he had restored this man to health, he is then able to have an open door for the gospel. This man that day, as he went to the temple and he was laid there by his friends, he wasn't expecting to learn some new amazing truth about God. he was just going about his daily business. but that day his life forever changed because he came in contact with Jesus because the disciple was willing to lay his hand on him and he was able to walk because the disciple cared enough about his health, God was able to work and to open a door for the gospel in this man's life. And it's amazing because at the end of this sermon, if you go down to Acts chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead." See, it wasn't a popular message that they were bringing at that point. Today, when I go and I tell people about Jesus, most people in the United States feel that they believe Jesus was a good man and that that's great, I already know about Jesus. At this time, to preach about Jesus was to preach about a criminal who had been crucified, who there was this rumor going around that he'd been raised from the dead. It was not a popular thing to speak about Jesus. Verse, four, verse 3, And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But look at verse 4. Look at what happens because of their faith, because they were willing to preach Jesus after having looked out for this man's health. In verse 4 it says, However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of them came to be about how many? 5,000. Now you remember back on the day of Pentecost, we don't know how much before this this was, but it was just the previous chapter. How many were baptized on the day of Pentecost? 3,000, Peter's first sermon. We talk a lot about the 3,000 that were baptized, but here you have another experience where Peter goes and a door is open because of the healing power of Jesus Christ. And through that door being open, now we're seeing multiplication continue. And now we have five thousand disciples. Powerful doors are open when people's health is impacted. That's the story that Kathy shared for us in the children's story this morning. Can you imagine being a little girl and being captured by a foreign army? Here you have Naaman's maid. We look at her as this happy little girl serving uh, her, mas- her, her mistress, and yet She had been ripped away from her family by an invading army. She'd been taken hostage by the Syrian army, and she'd been apparently there was something special about her because she was led to serve the great general Naaman himself, the one who was the conquering invader. And as she's in his house, she's serving him. He had the disease of leprosy. Now, she could have been spiteful. Here, her life had been ruined. She'd been ripped away from her family. But something about the way she'd been brought up, she cared first and foremost to do whatever it took to reveal the love of God. Despite all that was going on in her life, she wasn't worried about her own situation. She was worried about this man who had taken her captive named Naaman. And she saw that he was struggling with leprosy. And so she says to her maid, if only, if only he could go to see Elisha the prophet. If only he could experience his healing through prayer in God. And so the rumor gets back to Naaman. And Naaman goes through this whole process of going to see Elisha. And we heard about it in the children's story. And through that story in 2 Kings chapter 5, Elisha tells him to go to the river he dips in the water he's healed when he comes up out of the water he goes back in second kings chapter five you can read it later on he comes back and he's offering gifts and Elisha won't take it but then before he leaves he says something very interesting he says to Elisha would you give me just two mealful loads of uh, dirt that I can take back with me dirt why did he want to take dirt He says, I want to take this dirt back with me, and I want to put it back in my own country so that I can worship the God of Israel. He wanted to worship this God who had restored his health, who had done so much for him. You see, healing opens doors for the gospel. Healing opens the doors for people who would not otherwise to fall in love with Jesus. Because When we're sick, when we're experiencing distress in our lives, it's hard to focus on God sometimes. But when we experience the healing, the power that the gospel can bring into our lives, it opens the door for us to want to hear about spiritual things. It opens the door for us to want to know more about Jesus. In fact, these disciples of Jesus, Peter and John, They were simply following in the footsteps of what Jesus did from the very beginning. Go with me to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is just beginning his ministry, and he goes in as his custom was. Jesus' custom was, was to do just what you're doing this morning, and that is to go and worship on Sabbath. In Luke chapter 4, we'll start in verse 16. It says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. It would have been actually a scroll, um, but our English translation sometimes put that to book. He opens the scroll of Isaiah, and when he had opened the scroll, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus says, this is what I've come for. I have come to bring health. I've come to bring healing. In fact, in John 10.10, Jesus says that the thief has come to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Jesus says, I came. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to bring liberty, to bring sight to the blind. And you see how in Jesus' ministry, this opened door after door after door. In fact, in John chapter 9, Jesus comes and he finds a man who's been born blind, and the disciples look at this man and they say, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he is blind? And Jesus says, it wasn't because of their sin, but it was in order that the works of God may be glorified, that God could get all the glory in this man's life. God doesn't intend for us to experience sickness and disease, but God can use the sickness and the disease that is present in this world to bring glory to him through his healing power, through his love, through the life that he is able to impart. And sure enough, in that story too, at the end of that story, the guy didn't know who Jesus was because he'd been sent to the pool of Siloam to wash. He'd put, he'd put clay on his eyes and he went to the pool and he washed it off. He didn't even know what Jesus looked like. But later on in the story, Jesus appears to him and he gives him the chance to, to realize who Jesus was. He says, Do you want to follow the Son of Man? And he says, Lord, tell me who he is, and I will. And he says, you're looking at him. Jesus opened doors to share about the gospel by healing. And Jesus wants for his disciples today to do the exact same thing. In fact, you see this again and again in Jesus' life, and he specifically tells his disciples to follow his example. Go go with me to Matthew in chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. It says then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. This is the way Jesus operated. He would just walk through towns and he would walk out of that town, and there would not be one sick person left in that entire town. That's how much Jesus loved to make people just feel better even if they weren't going to believe in Him, even if they weren't going to accept the Gospel, He wanted to do whatever it took to make their lives better. That having come in contact with them, their lives would be better. Ravi Zacharias, a uh, Christian apologist, says, the Gospel is not good news unless it's good news to everyone. For you and I to follow Jesus isn't really good news unless it's good news for every person that we come into contact with. Unless because of loving Jesus, it makes the lives of the people around us better. Because that's the way Jesus lived his life. He lived his life to take care of the needs, to be concerned for the, and compassionate for the people that he faced on a daily basis. So here we find in nine, chap, Matthew chapter 9, and verse 35, that he's healing every disease among the people. And then verse 36, he says, But when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. See, Jesus looks out on these multitudes and as He looks at them, His heart is moved with compassion because He sees that there are more people there than He can place His healing hand on. There are more people there than He can have that personal dialogue with to teach them about the Father. He realizes that He's not capable of in his human body, of doing all that he wants to do. He's moved with compassion. So verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We've talked about this before, about how Jesus actually wants for you and I to be praying that, Number one, He'd make us laborers in the harvest. And number two, that He would send out more laborers because Jesus promises that the harvest really is great. There really are needs out there for you and I to be reaching. But look at what He does when He calls His disciples in the very next verse. Chapter 10 and verse 1. And when He had called His 12 disciples to Him, He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. Later on in verse 7, he says, As you go, preach preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Again, when he sent out the 70 later on, he sends them out and again he tells them to heal. And then in the Great Commission, the way that Mark records it, at the end of the book of Mark, he again tells them to lay their hands on the sick pray for their recovery. So this was all that Peter and John were doing. They were following in the footsteps of Jesus. They were doing what Jesus had told them to do in order that the gospel could go forward. You see, to look out for somebody's needs, to care for them when they're in distress, to care for them when they're sick, opens a door in their heart for Jesus like nothing else could possibly do in their lives. When you've been helped by somebody, when they've cared about you personally, it makes a difference that nothing else could really do. Jesus truly loved people. I love what it says in the book Ministry of Healing, page 146. Sorry, let's go to Desire of Ages first. Page 641. We can have this up on the screen. Desire of Ages, page 641. says this, When we love the world as He has loved it, Then for us, His mission is accomplished. We are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. Do you see that? How did Jesus love this world? Jesus cared for people's personal needs. He cared for them when they were sick, when they were distressed. He cared for the poor. He preached the gospel to the poor. He did everything possible to come close to people. And when we love like Jesus loved, we're ready for heaven because heaven is already in our hearts. The Ministry of Healing, page 143, it describes specifically how Jesus went about loving this world. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. You see, it wasn't until Jesus had met people's needs, until he'd drawn close to them, until he'd mingled with them, until he showed them that he genuinely cared for what they were going through, that he then gave the invitation for them to follow him. But sometimes I get it all backwards. I don't know about you, but I tend to go to people like, hey, you need this truth in your life. And they're like, man, you don't understand what I'm going through. My family is falling apart. I am dealing with this sickness. I I don't even have the finances to go through with life. And you're telling me about Jesus coming soon? That's great. But how does that help me with my life today? Until we're willing to genuinely come close to people and love people, that door for the gospel is going to be slammed shut. But the closer we draw to people, the more that our neighbor knows that, hey, if, if I have to be gone, he'll even come over and he'll mow my lawn for me. Or if your neighbor knows that when his wife is sick in, in the hospital, that you might come over and you might fix dinner for his kids that, that week. When, when your coworker knows that when they're going through a bout of depression, that you're going to be the one there encouraging them, lifting them up. It's when we're willing to care for people's personal lives that they're going to be open and willing to hear the amazing truths that we have about Jesus. But if we try to jump straight to telling people about Jesus, telling them about the Sabbath, telling them about all these wonderful things that reveal Jesus' love to them without really caring for who they are and what they're going through, then that door is so often going to remain slammed shut. The Holy Spirit does amazing things, and He opens that door for us, despite the fact that sometimes we don't show the love of Jesus. Sometimes we don't draw close to people and really care for what they're going through. But how much better if we were to follow Jesus' example and mingling among men as one desiring their good, expressing sympathy for them, drawing close to them, before we invite them to follow Jesus with us. How much more powerful can our ministry be? You might be thinking, what do I really have to offer? Can I really make a difference in somebody's life? I mean, let's say they're suffering from disease or they're going through different things. Do I really have anything to offer them? You know, when I was a kid, I always told my parents, life ends at 20, I'm going to have as much fun as I possibly can. I'm going to go climb El Capitan. I'm going to go climb Mount Everest. I'm going to go skydiving, base jumping. I'm going to do whatever. But by 20, I don't. it looks so boring once you get old and you have to go to work. And I don't want to live past 20. I think 20 is good. I remember I was 19. My birthday was coming up soon. And I began to rethink those thoughts. I was thinking, <laughs> you know, your 20s seem pretty good. I think there's a lot more of life to live. I, I think I want to go on living. So I, I set a new date, 30. I'm going to turn 31 this year. And I'm thankful for each day of life. I'm thankful for quality of life. I'm thankful for another day to live for Jesus. Life just keeps getting better. I was traumatized when I turned 25. I thought, man, I'm finally an adult. I don't have to have special things to rent a car and I can be a a supervisor or whatever you call it for minors. I'm just too much of an adult. I've decided I'm going to embrace getting older because growing older is a blessing from God. Each of you probably realize that better than I do. That life is an amazing blessing. That each day we have is a gift from God. Life is precious. And that's why Queen Elizabeth one of the most powerful women on earth at the time, Queen Elizabeth I. As she neared the end of her life, as she was there on her deathbed, here she was, a powerful queen who had all this power. She had all these riches. She had all this wealth. We're told in the Oxford Dictionary of quotations that she said this, all my possessions for a moment of time all my possessions. I would give all my possessions for just one more moment of time. People value life. People value what you have to offer them because you know about the Blue Zone study, right? You know about Seventh-day Adventists who live in Loma Linda who have been studied by, what was the guy's name, Dan, uh, I forget his last name, he, he did the Blue Zone study with National Geographic, and he's pinpointed places around the world where people live longer and a higher quality of life. And as he looked at Loma Linda, and he looked at Seventh-day Adventists and the lifestyle that they live, they found in studies, not only his study, but that Seventh-day Adventists tend to live seven to ten years longer than the average population you have something to offer to your neighbors. You have something to offer to your coworkers. You have an amazing gift to offer them saying, hey, I'm not perfect. And you know, this is why it's an average, because not all of us live the lifestyle that's most healthy. But on average, if you follow a few principles from the Bible, you can live, you can extend your life expectancy by an extra seven, ten years. Who wouldn't want that? The, Queen of England was willing to give all of her wealth for just one more moment. How much would she have been willing to give for another 10 years of life? Life is precious, and you and I have an incredible gift to offer to this world. I love the story in Matthew chapter 11. If you go with me there to Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist is discouraged. He's in prison. He's wondering, what's wrong? Why hasn't Jesus been able to fulfill all these things that I expected that the Messiah was going to do? And so he sends two people to John to inquire of them. Are you the one or do we expect somebody else? And how do you think Jesus goes about proving who he is? Proving that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. We have an example in Luke chapter 24 where Jesus explains to the disciples from prophecy that he is the Messiah. So there are different ways. Sometimes it's from the Bible that Jesus taught us to explain who he was. But in this instance, when John the Baptist, the one who, if anybody else, should understand who Jesus is, wants to know who is Jesus, Jesus revealed it. Luke chapter 7, the scripture reading, told us about how then... Jesus took time and he began to heal people, the lame, the blind, the sick. And then Matthew 11 tells us what he says to John in verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus says, this is what it's all about. You want to know that I'm the Son of God? Look at what is taking place through my ministry. Then in John 14 and verse 12, Jesus tells us that those who believe in me, the works that I do, you will do also. And greater works than these because I have ascended to the Father. Jesus wants for you to engage in loving this world just like he loved it. But I have to be honest, and I think, well, I wish I just had the power to, to say immediately to somebody, get up and walk, or get off your sick bed, Annika, we've been praying for Annika. We're pleading with God that God would work a miracle and heal her brain tumor. And we believe that God is capable of doing that, more than capable of doing that. We live in a great controversy, and sometimes sickness goes on. We see the, the story of Job and we can talk about that another time. And sometimes we don't understand what all takes place. But this I know. That when we bring people to Jesus, like we're lifting up Annika in prayer, Jesus is able to work in miraculous ways in their lives. Look over at Matthew chapter 15. One more story about the miracle working power of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 29, we read a story about Jesus that comes immediately after the story where he is with a Syrophoenician woman who's begging for him to heal her demon-possessed child. You remember that story? And as she's begging for this, Jesus is kind of giving his disciples an example of their bigotry and kind of saying, well, should, should I really do this for her? And she says, well, I'll even take a crumb from the table. And so finally, he, he says she has amazing faith in goes ahead and heals her daughter. So we know from that story that Jesus is in Gentile territory. He's in the part of the world that Jews didn't like to hang out. In fact, the story after this, the feeding of the 4,000, it's very interesting that the baskets described there in Greek are big baskets, not the small baskets that are described with the feeding uh, that takes place earlier in Matthew, the feeding of the 5,000. They would carry big baskets because they would be in Gentile territory and you didn't want to have to buy much food. So you'd carry these big baskets around with you so you could have as much food as possible. So here they are in Gentile territory. And verse 29 says, Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him. This is amazing because this is Decapolis where he had healed the two demoniacs and he hadn't let them come with him on the boat. He would said, you should stay here and tell the things which I have done for you. Everybody had wanted him to leave the last time he's here. But now when he comes to this area and he's there on the mountain, multitudes are coming to Jesus. And the only reason they would have been doing that is because they had heard the testimony of these two demoniacs. Multitudes came to him and look at what these multitudes do. This is something that you and I can do with this hurting world. Multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet. You and I don't have any healing power. You and I aren't capable of taking care of what ails this world, but Jesus is. And if we'll simply grab a hold of people and bring them to the feet of Jesus, if we'll simply care for them, do whatever it takes to meet the needs that we can, and then say, I can't answer all of your problems, but I do know somebody that can. I have a God who can answer and care for all of your needs. And if we bring people to the feet of Jesus... Look at how Jesus responds. And He healed them. The lame couldn't have gotten there on their own. The blind couldn't have gotten there on their own. They were there that day because of the faith of their friends, because their friends were willing to bring them to Jesus. And that leaves me asking, who am I bringing to Jesus for healing, for restoration in their lives? Am I bringing people to the feet of Jesus? Because that's where healing can take place. So the multitude marveled. Now remember, this multitude, they're Gentiles. They don't know about Yahweh, the God of Israel. They don't know about the temple, and they haven't been worshiping in this place. These are foreigners. These are Gentiles. They're not Jews. So the multitude marveled, verse 31, when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel you see what this did for them? Here you have multitudes of people that Jesus is reaching out to. They don't know the God of Israel, but as they see him love these people to care for their needs, to have such compassion for people that he would heal them, they glorified that God of those Israelites over there. They said, just like Naaman, who said, I'm going to worship the God of Israel from now on, they said, we glorify the God of Israel. Friends, if we want to see the way open for the gospel in our community, in our friends' lives, in our neighbors' lives, in our coworkers' lives, we've got to come close to them. We've got to care for their needs. I love what it says in the book, Councils on Health, page 535. It says, I can see in the Lord's providence that the medical missionary work is to be a great entering wedge. You know what an entering wedge is? We don't use that too much anymore, but they used to use it back in the day for logging. And when they wanted to split a log in order to mill it into certain lengths, they would put these wedges in the cracks in the wood and they would pound them in with mallets until they split the log open. So when you had a tough log, it was the entering wedge that made the way for the breakthrough. The medical missionary work is to be a great entering wedge whereby the diseased soul may be reached through caring for people's physical needs, that they're open to receive more about Jesus. Again, in Councils to Health, page 497, it says, medical missionary work is the pioneer work of the gospel. It's the the forerunner. It's the one that goes in first. The door through which the truth for this time is to find entrance to many homes. Sometimes you wonder, how could we ever reach our neighbors? How could we ever, that that friend at work who just seems so closed off, how could I ever minister to him? Maybe it's through his health. Maybe it's through sharing practical principles in his life that could better his life, that he'll recognize that you have something of value, that you have the gospel. A demonstration of the principles of health reform will do much toward removing prejudice against our evangelical work. The great physician, the originator of medical missionary work will bless all who thus seek to impart the truth for this time. Will we love this world like Jesus loved this world? Will we take the time to come close to people, to minister to people's needs? Will we do whatever it takes to show the love of Jesus in a practical way? The video clip is working. I wanted to share a brief testimony with you about what took place, maybe you've seen it before, what took place in San Francisco just a couple years back. It's an inspiring story of how God was able to use health to reach an entire city in the Bay Area. Looks like it's not going to be able to go. Okay. Anyway, I can just briefly tell you, it's something called Bridges to Health, and you can go on Vimeo and you can Google it and find an amazingly inspiring documentary or just a five-minute clip about what took place when churches came together and they said, we're going to meet the health needs of this city, It got the city so excited that the mayor of Oakland and I think the mayor of San Francisco got involved. And by the time that they opened up this massive clinic that was offering dental work, it was offering uh, eyeglasses, it was offering even to do some minor surgeries, a bunch of different things at this clinic, by the time that the news got out, the day before, the crowds began to line up for this. They waited all night long just so that they could get in to have their health needs ministered to. They did some amazing things at that clinic. They, they did surgeries and different things. Oh, looks like we have it going now. I think it, our internet may not allow for us to not have preloaded it. So I'll just tell you about it. You can watch it later on, but it's very inspiring to see how God reached an entire city. And this opened up other doors, where last summer, some of you got to go to San Antonio, Texas, and they did another clinic, and they were so excited the mayor immediately jumped on it, got involved, because the mayor of Oakland, I believe it was, actually called to San Antonio and said, hey, you've got to let these Seventh-day Adventists do there what they did here. And the entire uh, city came together to do this thing, and he had 1,700 Seventh-day Adventist volunteers who came together, medical professionals and non-medical professionals, all to reach this city. And it opened amazing doors for the gospel. Not long after that, Mark Finley spoke with an evangelistic series that invited people who had been a part of this to come and hear saving truths about Jesus. And when you've had your physical needs met, it gives you a desire to hear what else these people may have to share. And I have a vision, actually it's not my vision, but I've heard it from many of you that God wants for us to reach out to our community in the same way. God wants for us to open up doors for the gospel through health, through caring about people's physical needs. I have a few more slides if we can get them up there. One is an opportunity that's coming up in April, April 27 to 29, another Pathways to Health event. So they had the first one, San Francisco, Oakland. Then they had one in San Antonio in April 27 to 29. This is during the week, so any of you that want to go, you'd have to take some time off of work, but it's so worth it. David Montalvo has been there. Was it worth it to to take time to go? It's a huge blessing to be able to reach people's needs, to reach out to people. This is April 27 to 29. It doesn't cost anything to be a volunteer. It's like going on a mission trip to Los Angeles. All you need to do is to pay for your lodging while you're there. An incredible opportunity. They need 3,000 volunteers because they're hoping to serve 10,000 people in our neighboring city of Los Angeles. Can you imagine what that's going to do in people's lives? When they have been suffering with some kind of ailment that they haven't had the funds to take care of, they don't have medical insurance like some of us are privileged to have, they're, they're suffering and not able to take care of these things, and they're able to come and to be ministered to at this clinic. But coming a little more locally than that, on February 13, that's just, I think it's three weeks, two and a half weeks, three weeks away, it's a Sabbath, February 13, at 4 p.m., we're going to be down at the Arroyo Grande Church from 4 to 6 p.m. We're going to be talking about how locally and as an area throughout uh, San Luis Obispo County and Santa Maria County, we can reach this area, we can pool all of our resources, we can get the doctors together. We can get the dentists together and we can say, how can we practically meet people's needs so that it opens a door for Jesus to reach the heart? How many of you want to be involved in that on February 13th? Four o'clock in the afternoon. It's just a couple of hours just close by down at the Arroyo Grande Church. I want to invite you to come down. There'll be refreshments at the end of that. But even closer to home than that, we are blessed by having a school called Weimar Health Institute that does a four-month training program called Health, basically. It's their health training program. They are coming and they're offering to do a health expo for our church. We've been talking a little bit about this, and you've seen some of the flyers. But I really want to encourage you that we need your help in this. We're thankful that this first time that we're doing a big health expo here, we have a group coming in from the outside so that they can do a lot of the the Um, brunt work of it, but they need our help to be there and they also want for us to catch the vision because as you and I go and we see what they're doing and sharing about health, we're going to have the opportunity to do the same thing in the future. We're going to be inspired to want to do the same thing in the future. They share just simple health principles that can enable people to live longer, healthier lives. Simple principles of New Start, which is nutrition, nutrition, Exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, fresh air, rest, and trust in God. Simple things that you may have learned since the time you were a child, if you're blessed to have learned about these things. But there are so many people who don't realize how much better their lives could be if they had this. So I want to invite you, number one, as you go out, there's going to be flyers out there. And I want to invite you to grab a couple of these Five of these, ten of these, and take them to your friends, take them to your neighbors, to your coworkers, and say, hey, there's a totally free health expo. It's going to have a free massage. Who doesn't want a free massage? All right? It's Super Bowl Sunday, but what could be more important than going and taking care of your health rather than watching other people thrash their health on TV? It's going to be an... Uh, Talking about body fat percentage, cardiovascular fitness, all these opportunities to have a health screening, a lot of different opportunities that day. But not just that day, the whole weekend. You can invite people to next Friday night. There's going to be a health seminar that begins at 6 p.m. And then and during church next week, you don't want to miss church next week because we're going to have a doctor here. I believe he's going to be here for Sabbath school and for church, he's going to be sharing some more health principles And then in the afternoon at 4 and 6 o'clock, invite your neighbors. Say, hey, I know you're interested in health. And it's interesting. When people find out you're Seventh-day Adventist, they really do want to know about health. There's a pastor's group that meets here once a month, and we go to breakfast together. And it's funny because just this week we met with them, and we were eating at Touch of Mexico for breakfast. And one of the ladies was looking, I guess maybe looking at what Leah was eating. She said, hey, could you like, Do you have cookbooks that could help me learn how to eat vegetarian, to eat healthy food? I really need to make some changes in my life. Just your influence, people want to know more about it. When I was sitting down with the pastors planning another meeting, they were saying, well, you could bring like a vegetable tray or something because I know you Seventh-day Adventists are into health, right? They know that you have something to offer them, but are we offering it to them? It's not for us, but it's to share the good news that Jesus wants all of us to experience health. So I invite you to invite people to be a part of this. And this afternoon, our uh, amazing cross trainers and our girls from Souls West have put together an outreach today at 4 o'clock. How many of you are free at 4 o'clock today? How many of you wouldn't mind going around to a parking lot and passing out these flyers to just give people an invitation to better their health. Let me see a raise of hands of people that are willing to go out this afternoon to invite people to experience better health. You know, sometimes we offer people things that feels intrusive, but this isn't intrusive. When you're saying, hey, I want to offer you something that's going to enable you to live a healthier, happier life, something that the Queen Elizabeth I was willing to give all of her fortunes for. How much more... The people want to hear from you at this point in time. Amazing opportunities that I hope we take advantage of because these are doors that will open the door for the gospel. And one day in heaven, when we all get to heaven, we're going to see people there. People who are there because you took the time to share with them an opportunity that they just couldn't pass by. It's only an hour this afternoon, or if you can't go this afternoon, then just take a flyer and pass it out to your coworkers. Pass it out to your neighbors, your friends. Give people an invitation. Because when we all get to heaven, I believe there are going to be many there because you were willing to share. Father, we're asking for that same Holy Spirit your Spirit that anointed Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to the captives, so that the lame could walk and the deaf could hear. Father, we're asking that that same Holy Spirit would rest upon us and make us ministers for your honor and your glory. Lord, help us to love this world in the way you loved it, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless my friends as they go out to love as Jesus loved. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.